Good evening. It's good to uh, good to be here to study with you tonight. I think on a on a monthly basis, um, when we as non-preachers uh, get up to preach, uh, I think it's it's worth saying a, a an appreciation to our elders for this opportunity, uh, not only for the time to, to spend a few minutes with you, but the preparation. Try and get a a, a topic wrapped around in my head in order to uh, try and, and provide a couple of uh, of coherent thoughts. So that's what I'm going to try to do tonight. Um, along with uh, the other guys who do it uh, from time to time. I want to talk a little bit about um, environmentalism uh, tonight. This is not a topic uh, that gets talked about a lot from uh, where I'm standing, but it gets talked about a lot uh, in the world. Um, where we live, where we work, where we go to school. Um, it's a unique topic, I think, for, for a few reasons. First, the stories surrounding us this in, in the world uh, about the environment have a lot of focus. Um, there is uh, a mountain of, of stories. I just found a couple from yesterday um, that, that are focused on what is going on in the environment, how we impact it, what should we be doing about it. Uh, there's a new phrase in the last few years that is relevant to, to folks uh, like myself who live in corporate America. Uh, environmental social governance is a thing. Now, well, what, is that? what does that mean? That means that there are uh, lots of people, lots of investment companies, people who own hundreds of thousands of shares of different companies who no longer just care about the company's balance sheet or its cash flow or its mergers and acquisitions or its capital investments. They also care about how you see and treat the environment. You see this story about IBM. IBM is a technology company. They make computers and the things that go inside computers. But their investors care some about that, but their investors also care about how IBM sees mountains and oceans and penguins. That is a thing now. Uh, and it's everywhere uh, in, in our world, especially in, in, in my industry. We, we've taken um, a, a, a diligent approach over time, partially because the government tells us to, and partially because of things like environmental social governance. We feel the need as a evil oil company to try and, and treat the environment with some kind of sustainability and some kind of, of governance. We don't talk like this much in the church, though. Uh, it's a tricky topic to tackle, I think. Uh, so um, I'm going to try and tackle it uh, tonight. Three things I want to talk about tonight. What's the environmental problem when it comes to the church? What are the wrong ways uh, to, potentially, to potentially solve that problem? And then what is the environmental solution? And talk briefly about the new creation first. The environmental problem. <clears throat> I'd start um, by, by saying this. What, what's your typical natural reaction to the topic of environmentalism? I would argue, uh, without pulling the room, that the room would be divided um, and, and potentially how we approach it. But we all have some sort of tie to this topic and social and political policies uh, in this country. There is evidence, you can look it up uh, in several places online, of, of social science research uh, that suggests that conservative Christians, so the people who make up a lot of the room that we're in here, 
are typically less concerned about issues of environmentalism than the general public. There's polls, research across this country that the people in this room are less concerned with the environment. Less concerned maybe for a couple of reasons. First, that's a liberal issue. I don't want to have to expound on the divisions of this country, socially and politically. I think everybody is pretty attuned to that if you've turned the TV on in the last 25 years. Even in this red portion of you know, mid-sized town, Tennessee, we understand that we can watch and scan the news and find that this issue, the environment, is tied up in a political divide, in a political war. And it's typically on the left side. We dismiss the topic because it's potentially on the left side. Let me offer you an example. This quote, I believe that the purpose of life is to glorify God. And you cannot do it without heaping contempt on God's creation. Makes a lot of sense, I think. Ah, but but Al Gore said that. Now, for those of you who don't know who, who Al Gore is, former vice president of the United States back, back in the 90s, and is known for, for primarily kind of two things post his, his vice, president, vice presidency. Kind of accelerating the thought that, that elections can be uh, manipulated and tainted, and, and also the idea of us human beings being responsible, almost solely responsible, uh, for the destruction of the world the destruction of the ozone layer, and what have you. I can, I can feel the way you feel in the room, right? <clears throat> He's on the left side. So if he believes something, I, I should not maybe believe that thing. No. That's what happens, I think, with this issue. That's a liberal issue. So those who are pro-choice and pro-regulation, um, they also are pro-environment, so I'm not going to necessarily be that thing. Um, you can be pro-life, you know, pro-liberty, vote red, and have environmentalism mean something to you. Um, it is a problem to try and connect an issue to a party. Remember whose citizenship we are a part of, right? We are a part of the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven, not red, not blue, the kingdom of God. Secondly, um, maybe it's not necessarily a, a liberal issue, but we may see it as a non-issue. Non-issue, maybe we may not say it out loud, but maybe interpretations of different passages in which we, which we allude to and study from time to time. First, the one that was mentioned uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1. There, there's multiple studies, again, that reference how Christians, conservative Christians, see these three passages and how they're used to dismiss the idea uh, of environmentalism through interviews, through polls, uh, etc. First, go back to the, the passage that we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. I'll offer some emphasis uh, on verse 28. Uh, to prove uh, this point. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over living all living things <clears throat> that move on the earth. 
we put emphasis on certain words, like subdue it, rule over it. At least we may live that way. Everything on earth is God's because He made it and He's given us authority over all of it. So, there. There's also potentially uh, a, a misapplication of the Bible story's view of the earth in the past. Take Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21. Post-flood, Noah has come out of the ark. He has responded to what has happened by offering burnt offerings. And God responds to these burnt offerings by, not, by promising not to destroy the earth again. So we know that whatever happens... God's not going to flood the earth again. He said so. Um, let me offer you another practical example. There was a Republican representative uh, in the state of Michigan in 2017. His name's Tim Wahlberg. When they were discussing environmental policy, and he said this. I believe there's climate change. I believe there's climate change since the beginning of time. Do I think that man has some impact? Yeah, of course. Can man change the entire universe? No. Why do I believe that? Well, as a Christian, I believe that there is a creator in God who is much bigger than us. And I'm confident that if there's a real problem, he can take care of it. Now, behind Tim's basis for such a statement, he doesn't quote anything. But behind it is, is the idea of God's promises like the flood in Noah's story. God is big. God will take care of it. This isn't my problem to worry about. We can do nothing to impact it. If there's a real problem, God can take care of it. Again, conservative Christian using the term as America uses the term. And then potentially the, the, the last uh, misapplication or, or something that we can, be, we can run the risk of, of helping us to potentially be misguided, misapplication of the Bible's view of the earth when it comes to the future. We read passages like 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 where the earth and all of its elements will be burned up. We read in the book of Revelation and we see glimpses of the world being destroyed or we may watch movies or television shows with post-apocalyptic world. It's just going to get real bad. Um, the world's going to blow up eventually. We're all going to go die, and we're going to go to heaven or hell. I'm going to get a new body. This earth's going to be gone anyway. Who cares? No. Would we say it out loud? P perhaps not. I've never said that out loud until, until just now. Um, but the thought may, may come to mind when we're using the things we've been stewarded, we've been given to steward uh, in the earth. God's not going to flood the earth again. Or it's just going to blow up anyway. So what does it matter? Um, now, the remainder of our time is certainly not going to be dedicated to discussing climate change science, uh, social policies like the carbon tax. Um, I don't even want to entertain that outside of here. It's just not uh, something that's fun to talk about. But um, this is where we are. The point is, the point is this. Wrapped in this issue today is a lack of meditation and expression of proper views of the environment. Is the case I'm trying to make here. And we as a Christian 
have to have views on the subject. Not based on red state, blue state. Not based on, well, it doesn't matter anyway, because we're going to heaven. Okay. So, if we need to have a, a, an understanding of God's uh, view, of the Christian's view of the earth, uh, how should we think about it? Well, let's think about some, some ways we shouldn't think about it first. What are some wrong ways to kind of solve the, the, the environmental problem uh, in our mind? Because this place is beautiful in which we live, uh, and it's changing. You know, land is being converted to, from wilderness to agricultural use, and then agricultural use to city and, and urban areas. Pollution is, is a global problem. Uh, the atmosphere is changing for all sorts of reasons, perhaps. We need to have a thought. Uh, we need to have an understanding, a, a, a worldview of this environment. What are some maybe wrong ways to think about it? First, thinking about it just from a purely naturalistic view. This may sound something like this. We need humanity to evolve and survive. That's the ultimate goal, and that requires a healthy planet. We must take care of it for our children. Purely material and, and natural in its view. Um, there, there's, some, there's some merit here. But the idea that the earth only has value because of the things that we need to get out of it um, would be a little bit incomplete. Um, what if we come to a point if and, and when we can artificially recreate the environment's value in some way? Does that mean that the earth's value is lost? Um, should we just use what we need and, and, and discard the rest um, no matter what is impacted? Um, perhaps an incomplete look. The, the, another incomplete look is, is kind of the other's pendulum swing to the other side, the, the pantheist view. It may sound something like this. All the environment is nature. And all of nature is equal because God is in all of it and all of it is God. Nature is respected and valued because it is part of the essence of God. Humans have value and the earth has value. So basically drawing all of nature into one. God is in everything equally. We are just as great and just as important as the cow, as the grass, as the penguin. I think we all kind of naturally see that the, the, the struggle here, and we're going to talk about that struggle down uh, as we conclude. But man is a part of nature, but man is, a, is an elevated part of nature. Taking the pantheistic, pantheistic view degrades the identity of man um, as God's um, crowning jewel uh, of creation. Psalm 19, uh, verse 1, says the heavens tell of the glory of God. It doesn't say the heavens are the glory of God, because they are not. They tell of the glory of God. Okay. So, how should we think of this world? And when I say this world, the environment, the trees, the grass, the rivers... Uh, the penguins. I'm stuck on penguins uh, for, for some reason. I think it's because Keith is dressed like a, just like a penguin. 
what shall, what shall we say to these things? Um, three kind of main uh, solution points, I think, as we, uh, as we bring the lesson kind of on, on the downhill now. First, <clears throat> consider, consider the work of his hands. How often do we just stop and, and, and dwell and meditate on the beauty of God's creation? I would make this appeal to you. As a Christian, get out in it without headphones, without sunglasses, without shoes. Just get in the dirt, put your feet in the grass, put your feet in the river water and be there. And consider the work of God's hands. It's a really simple application. But look at the things that God has put around you and get inside of it. Unaltered. Where you can hear it, you can see it, you can feel it. The, the psalmists were, were, were certainly not silent when it comes to proclaiming the glory of God in His creation. You know, scientific knowledge doesn't create new ideas. Science doesn't create anything new. Uh, science doesn't have some new attribute about the world. It's simply just discovering the mind of God expressed uh, in creation. Psalm 33, verse 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their lights. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He puts the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood firm. Psalm 65. You, God, visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain for you so prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your goodness and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip and the hills encircle themselves with rejoicing. The meadows were clothed with flocks and the valleys were covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Did you catch that last verse? Verse 13. It's personification of the earth, of creation. It shouts and sings for joy, as if it were alive, directing its praise to God. Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before his presence with a song of thanksgiving. Let's shout joyfully to him in song with instruments. For the Lord is a great God and great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also His. The sea is His, for it was He who has made it, and His hands formed the dry land. You don't need much commentary other than that. Listen, experience the world, because the sounds that you hear, what you feel when you're in it, is nature singing joy to God. Second, 
recognize that we are the crowning jewel of God's creation. And, and it's steward. Psalm uh, 8, a very familiar passage uh, to, to most who perhaps are in the, in the assembly tonight. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you think of him? And the son of man that you are concerned about him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. You have crowned him with glory and with majesty. No other part of, of, of creation is given such a description. All of creation is surveyed, and he has made, he has made man to be crowned with glory and, and majesty. We, humanity, God's, God's crowning jewel, have also been given a responsibility. A responsibility of stewardship. We read it back in, in Genesis in chapter 1. Because God gives us the, the authority of stewardship we can care for the earth and and we can make it worse god gives us earth's rule now there's a whole lot that can be said about that i just want to offer two two bits of of commentary first you know avoiding the excess when it comes to our relationship to the earth when Jesus in, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15 said, One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, he illustrated that point with what parable? A story of a man who had taken too much from the earth. Grain. Consider for a moment some of the laws in the Old Testament. Now the laws are not meant to be followed today, but there are, there are passages in the book of Romans where Paul talks about the principles in which we are to learn from from the Old Testament. The laws of the Old Testament teach on the principles of avoiding excess. In Leviticus chapter 25, they were told to let the land completely rest. There was supposed to be a land with a, a year where there was no active work done to the land to produce a harvest. People had to wait till the next harvest season, so obviously ration food accordingly. Uh, imagine in this country, if we went a whole year without farming, we would consider something like this a national emergency, uh, probably. Um, so they were told to at some times to go without farming, without harvesting uh, diligently, actively from the land at all. And at the same time, uh, as you're trying to ration your food and trying to count and make up for that year, you are to not till and harvest the corners of your land. Leave that for those who are less fortunate. Don't count that. Um, it doesn't give you a description, uh, but the corners of the land, you need to leave some. As you're rationing, you can't count on everything that you've planted and harvested. And at the same time, as you're rationing food and you have to leave some behind, you cannot muzzle the ox while it's threshing the floor and helping you with those grains that you're individually rationing. Deuteronomy chapter 25. So there's time for the land to rest and you can't take everything from the land. And the things that you do take from the land that you are rationing, you have to let the ox freely take from it from you. All pointing to the idea of avoid excess, Israelite. 
So the principle is that God sets limits on consumption from the earth, from his people in the Old Testament. How do we apply that today? Act, act in wisdom. There's a broad statement. Uh, act, act in wisdom. Um, we're studying the book of Proverbs right now. What's the point uh, of wisdom? It's the idea of having the knowledge from God about what is right, what is true, and coupling that knowledge with good judgment and action. Having the knowledge alone is knowledge alone. That's what we call it. Wisdom is having that knowledge and having the judgment of how to act on it and when. How do we act in wisdom towards the earth? I'll offer this. Don't just walk around blindly in the world. Walk in wisdom. Excess comes in the form of garbage, too. Cutting down on excess includes cutting down on what we consume and on what we throw away. I don't know if, if everybody around my age had the three R's uh, beat into their head when they were in elementary school and middle school. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Is mine the only one? No? Okay. Uh, well, if, I was, if, if that wasn't uh, beat into your head, reduce and reuse and recycle was taught uh, in, in school. It has merit. If we are stewarding the earth, it is not an academic thing. Act in wisdom. We are stewards of the earth. It is something that has to be actively done, not actively just thought about and read about in Genesis in chapter 1. Make informed decisions around our choices associated with the environment. We are without excuse when it comes to the knowledge about where our food comes from. Or what materials we can use that can be reused. Or what the sources they are. Don't turn and say we are a small fish and God is big and God is in control anyway. Or the earth is just going to be destroyed with fire anyway. We have the knowledge to find out how we're using the environment. We have no excuse today. Be informed and make informed decisions. What you recycle or where you choose to get your chicken from will not save the earth. I'm not claiming that it will. I'm not claiming that's the goal. The goal is to act in wisdom as a steward of the things that God has created. We are called to act as stewards. If any human should do this wisely, surely it is the human that is being called to be holy, sanctified members of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. I came across this quote, um, and I like it. Uh, I didn't put it on the screen, but I want to share it with you. From Francis Schaeffer. We have the right to rid our house of ants. But we have, but what we have no right to do is to forget the honor that God has made that God has made in the ant, out in the place where God has made the ant to be. When we meet the ant on the sidewalk, we step over him. 
He is a creature like ourselves, not made in the image of God, but equal with man as far as God has created him. Acting in wisdom is not just letting the world go, not letting the world go by eight to five, eight to five, eight to five, red state vote. Act in wisdom when it comes to the things that we consume in the earth. Last point. What does resurrection in the New Testament really mean? Turn, turn for a second to um, uh, Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. We'll look at verse 18. Paul is talking about redemption. And in Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Yes, we've seen that before. We've heard that before. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation, the things we've been talking about tonight, the environment is in conflict. It is in tension with us right now. How can you tell? Easy. How do animals who don't know you approach you? Wild animals, perhaps. Cautious, defensive, or attack. No animal's coming up to say hello. No. They're, they're, they, they run away, or they get big, or they think they get big, or they attack. Um, animals rarely are in natural unity with us. Perhaps because they know there's tension between us and our creator, and their creator. <clears throat> How is this going to be made right? Um, the earth sees what is going on in the salvation of the, of the people uh, that, that are in it. And we see that the creation itself will be set free. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and, and verse 21. Something has happened. And creation, Paul says, sees something happening in the redemption that started in Christ Jesus. Consider for a second Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on what? A colt that had never been ridden before. What happens to a colt that's never been ridden before when you sit on top of it? When an ordinary non-son of God sits on top of it? Chaos, right? Tension. This is not a good thing uh, for this man or this woman to be on top of me. Jesus gets on top of a colt that's never been ridden on and goes through the streets of people shouting and singing. And the colt walks through. How? To me, the only way that that is true is the colt, through God, knows something about its rider. He knows what is being talked about in Romans chapter 8, creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will also be set free. 
No other man can get on a colt that's never been ridden before and have it calmly walk through the streets of Jerusalem while people are shouting and singing around him. But Jesus did. Jesus starts a new creation that will be made right. Revelation chapter 21. How does the Bible end when it comes to the earth? Revelation sees a new earth coming down. Creation being reborn. Man sins. The whole world is changed by it. It's impacted. The physical earth is torn apart. There's tension with it in us. But a new created world, a new city of Jerusalem, is brought down and and reaffirmed at the end in Revelation chapter 21. Understand and recognize that there is a there is a natural, like we mentioned before, a natural want to um, think about this pie in the sky place, about going somewhere else to heaven. Recognize what's said in Genesis, excuse me, in Revelation 21. Part of the end of the world is recreating creation. So, let's do our part. Walk in wisdom. That's my last appeal. Um, In the world. In our environment. Our environment is a reflection of the glory of the God that we serve. We are its stewards. Actively in, in wisdom. Let's steward it. In the things that we do. In the things that we say. And one day... Creation will be reaffirmed. What we see here will be redone in a new heavens and a new earth. How do we know? We know through the crucified and the resurrected body of Jesus. The one who started the idea of man and beast, man and the earth being made right again. So let's act uh, as proper stewards of his kingdom and the kingdom that sits uh, on this earth. Let's pray uh, for a moment as we conclude. Our Holy Father, we praise your name and we see all the blessings of the earth around us. You have made the sea, you have filled it, and you have said to it, this is where you will go and you will stop here and go no further. You have numbered the stars, you have numbered the hairs on our head, and you have given us the sacrifice of our son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We thank you for letting him come to this earth, live and to die for us. As we live here, dear Father, help us to live in your creation and steward it in wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to sing a song that Jonathan's going to lead us in, a song of of invitation. Um, Part of being in the earth is recognizing that what's naturally here is not all there is. Uh, One of the things that makes us the crowning jewel of God's creation is we have a part of Him in us. Uh, And part of us is in conflict with Him without Jesus. And it needs to be reconciled. There is a reconciliation opportunity in Jesus Christ who came to this earth took on a, resurrect, a, a body and resurrected that body so that we may see that, believe in it, and have the forgiveness of our sins.
If this invitation is for you tonight, we invite your response now as we stand and as we sing.